We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a week 12 edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast, the George Selby of College Football Podcasts, Nick Whalen, back as always with Rotowire head college football editor John McKechnie. John, what are your memories of George Selby? You know, uh, just uh, I think I'm about to become a fraud right here in front of our very eyes. I don't remember a ton about about George Selby. I know, I know the uh, the name is very familiar, but I, I can't uh, put put any uh, like grainy 2007. Uh, footage to the name uh well he was the defensive end slash defensive lineman at south florida a first team all-american in 2007 uh you you probably remember him from being drafted late in the seventh round of the 2010 nfl draft by the st louis rams does that ring a bell we're getting there we're getting there uh that i mean that's a very memorable 2007 south florida team i mean they got up to number two in the in the polls exactly they certainly did so 
Um, yeah, I apologize, I guess, for going a little too deep with George Selvey. But uh, let's turn our attention to the present day. That'll be that'll be the end of the George Selvey talk. So if that's why you're here, um, proceed to the next episode. Uh, let's talk about Georgia right off the bat. JT Daniels. It sounds like I, you know we haven't really been able to find a an officially confirmed report on this, but uh, it sounds like help is on the way for the Georgia quarterback situation, which I'm going to say it hasn't been great this season. It hasn't. Uh, you know, it's what it's a very bizarre world where I'm extremely envious of Wisconsin's quarterback situation. And like you have nothing to be jealous of when it comes to Georgia's quarterback play. Um, but finally it looks like JT Daniels is going to be the guy. It's been such like a long arduous road to get here that, that also included, you know, two tough losses on the, in the biggest games on the schedule. Daniels, of course, he suffers the ACL tear week one last year against Fresno State when he was at USC, had a pretty long kind of complicated uh, recovery, and and he's been working during the regular season to get that knee all the way back. And I I think that Kirby Smart has caught a a fair amount of flack um, these last few weeks, basically since the Alabama loss, but being like, you know, where is JT Daniels? And he is giving very like, you know, canned, uh, I'm not telling you much type of answers, which isn't really doing him any favors in the media uh, about like, is Georgia really putting out their, their best quarterbacks? If JT Daniels is healthy, then like, you know, where is he? While, while you have like a guy just getting pa- passes batted down at the line left and right or, or sailing, um, however you want to describe that, that Florida game. But now we, we get a chance to, to see what, you know, why Georgia even bothered to pursue JT Daniels in the first place. They, they had Jamie Newman locked up at the time uh, as, a, as a commit, as a grad transfer. He's a talented guy. I mean, he was third in the 2018 class behind Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and he reclassified uh, to get into that class. So, he, I mean, he's kind of young for this level at this stage. I'm cautiously optimistic. I just don't really know if with how long the knee ended up being an issue for him, how close to 100 percent he really is at this point. But if nothing else, it's got to be better that, than Dwan Mathis or, or Stetson Bennett, right? Yes, the floor has been set extremely low. So whatever JT Daniels comes back and looks like, you would have to imagine that that's essentially an automatic upgrade at this point. Um, I mean, what, what are the realistic expectations? You know, obviously there's been some, I guess, mystery for lack of a better term surrounding his status, but you know, you would imagine it's all injury related. They just don't want to tip their hand too much with that respect. I mean, should we be expecting the real full JT Daniels to be back or is there a chance that, you know, he's still dealing with some sort of lingering issue with that injury? So I, I guess the, the good thing if you're JT Daniels is he's never relied on his mobility to begin with. So like we're, we're not going to be seeing, you know, a, a guy that's only capable of half the half the stuff that we that we've come to expect from him. We expect him to sit back in the pocket and, and deliver passes. So where Georgia's offense will look different and I you could argue that Georgia hasn't really seen its full new system yet. They, they have a new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, this year. And you've had to stratify things with, you know, Jamie Newman opting out and then going to Dwan Mathis and then that having that not work out and then having to work around the limitations with Stetson Bennett. So I think at the very least that the field gets opened up, you know, we, we start to see some more throws towards the boundary, uh, start to get more use out of the outside receivers. Uh, George Pickens is going to be back. That, that gives uh, Georgia another weapon on the outside um, opposite Jermaine Burton or however they want to use um Kiaris Jackson. So there, there 
is a chance that Georgia's offense gets a lot more opened up this time around. And Miss mm-hmm. State is in trouble. I think at the time that we're recording this, they're like getting dangerously close to not being able to play this game to begin with. So we'll see how right. this goes. But as it stands, I would expect pretty solid looking. Pre- I mean, again, like you said, the floor is set so low that anything re- like resembling competency will look great as far as Daniels is concerned. But I am kind of expecting that, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, you spoke about maybe that game being in sub jeopardy. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the college football playoff committee uh, earlier this week essentially reinforced that everything is on schedule uh, with regard to the college football playoff itself. You know, they're they're hoping for that national championship game, which is currently slated for January 11th in Miami. Uh, that remains on track. And I, I thought the really interesting thing uh, you know, in this article, it was a Heather Dinich piece on ESPN. Um it, it, the implication is that if, if one of the national semifinalists, and you know hopefully it doesn't come to this, but if one of those teams were to be unable to play because of coronavirus, uh, it would just end up being a forfeit. And whatever team they were going to play would just go to the national championship. So it, it sounds like there's not really a contingency plan in place. And you know things have been a little bit rocky. But overall, I think this college football season, you know, anyone would say it, it's certainly been much better than not having a season at all. Um, but looking ahead you know, to you know essentially... Uh, a, a little bit over a month from now, uh, it, it seems like the college football playoff is, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of full steam ahead. And I was just surprised that there's not uh, at this point, especially as cases rise all over the country, there, there's not some sort of backup plan. Yeah, that, that is surprising. Um, and, and again, I'm sure it's it's another pretext for the expand the playoff people. But either way, looking at looking at, you know, what you said, what you laid out there as far as um, the, the contingencies or lack thereof. I think that we do have a situation here where uh, the the two semifinals are due to take place on January 1st, the the national title happening January 11th, like you said. The dis- the distance between January 1st and the end of of uh, like conference championship season should be enough to where if you're in the if you get named to the pl- playoff, I imagine that there will be some sort of like heightened quarantine protocol or or you know some sort of the, the team has to really, really ramp up their their efforts to isolate uh, when they're not practicing that that sort of thing to make sure that that forfeit um, doesn't occur. And I, I think that there there's within the time constructs that should be feasible, but it, it is something to where teams are going to need to be like as cautious as as humanly possible post um, being named to the playoff to in order to make sure that everything happens at, you know, as it should, because it, it would mm-hmm. be such a huge moment in college football. If coronavirus like canceled one of the, uh, one of the semifinals for the, for the college football playoff at, at, after making it all the way that far. Right. All right. Let's look back at week 11 before we turn our attention to a week 12 that that's filled with some pretty good games, some very surprising ranked versus ranked matchups that we'll get to in a little bit. Last week, we spoke about the potential letdown game, for Notre Dame coming off of that huge win against Clemson two weeks ago. They're at Boston College. You know, not a great Boston College team, but but one that, you know, nearly upset Clemson the week before and has played a lot of teams tough. Uh, you know, this one wasn't a, a beatdown by any means for Notre Dame, 45-31. But uh, I think you and I are both impressed that that Notre Dame, you know, came into this one focused. And, you know, even though it, it wasn't a huge blowout, uh, they covered the spread and, and it was a game where they were in control throughout. 
Exactly. Yeah, they they staved off the the sleepwalking. Um, you know, we we talked about that when we recorded last week, like you said, and I thought it was a legitimate concern. And then I, I think that like that narrative got so much legs by the time that like kickoff rolled around that like Notre Dame was actually like kind of like jet. You could tell they were like jacked for that game, actually. Um, so BC gave them basically everything that it was capable of doing. Uh, Notre Dame suffered a couple of backfield injuries during the course of that game, but we're still able to to get the job done, like you said. So um, I think we're past the point, especially this season, uh, of questioning the validity of this particular Notre Dame team. I think that you know they continue to march forward. They play mistake-free ball. They play great defense. They have an offense, a great offensive line. They got a senior quarterback. They have all these ingredients. So like, I will be very surprised if they're not among the final four at the at this point. It would take like a, an absolute tran- trouncing at the um, hands of Trevor Lawrence and Clemson for the committee to kind of reconsider things mm-hmm. because at, at this stage, I think Notre Dame re- really has it all laid out ahead of them as long as they take care of business. I wouldn't rule out an absolute trouncing, no. I will no. say that. Let's let's not let's not uh, put the cart in front of the wagon here. Uh, we'll, we'll cycle through some of these games that that you know weren't the biggest ones last weekend. Florida, huge blowout of Arkansas, 63-35, 63 points for that Florida offense. Kyle Trask, six uh, passing touchdowns. Uh, certainly a guy who's who's making a case uh, in that Heisman race that we've been checking in on week to week. Mm-hmm. Miami squeaks one out over Virginia Tech, 25-24. Uh, that's number nine, Miami, we should note. Indiana shuts out Michigan State. Uh, Oregon in the Pac-12 beats up on Washington State on the road. The Wisconsin Badgers made Yo. their return to action. Their long-awaited return to action. In, give, a, give, us, you, give us the breakdown at the Whalen compound of how Saturday night uh, unfolded watching that game. And tell you what, this was, I, I, I watched it, you know, with, with the COVID going on around here uh, i just watched it with with one of my good friends his girlfriend and and my lady um mm-hmm. so it was just you know it wasn't a rowdy atmosphere uh it, it wasn't anything like the the illinois win by any means um but it, it reminded me of some of these these michigan games in the past kind of like last year where you know you go in you're nervous even though you you know it's a lot of the numbers point to wisconsin being the better team there's still this factor with michigan uh, where it's Michigan and no matter no matter how they look the week before or the week before that or who's under center you know there's I'll say it, it's kind of an inferiority complex you know when it comes to Wisconsin and and even though the Badgers have gotten the by far the better half of this matchup for the last 10-15 years it's still a game that you worry about no matter what and like I said it reminded me a lot of last year where it was clear you know three series into the game that Wisconsin was going to win this one going away not only because they were the better team offensively. I mean, this was this was by no means like a sparkling performance by Graham Mertz. 12 of 22, just 127 yards, did have two touchdowns, um, you know, made a lot of good throws. But it was nothing like the Illinois game. But no. Michigan's offense, my God, like both of those those turnovers early in the game. I, I think it was the second pick that Joe Milton threw. It was it was inexcusable. It was just one of those where you're like, how do you how do you even possibly make this throw? How do you think that this is open, you know, with with any sort of certainty? Um, that one, that one was picked off by, I think like a defensive end who was dropping back into cover. Yeah, like, you, could hear, cover you could hear, you could hear the standing. groan from the commenter, uh, like a, uh, from was whoever was doing the game was like, Oh, right. I don't even want to say it was a pick. He just happened to be standing there and the ball appeared in his hands. Like the defender had to do absolutely nothing to make that happen. I mean, I'm not, not trying to take anything away from Wisconsin, but this was just a, an absolute pathetic performance by Michigan, which I, I will say had 47 rushing yards in this game. Oh my God! So I mean, yeah, the, this is the the seat couldn't be much hotter for for Harbaugh at this point. I mean, we we also saw 
um, you know, another coach who, who less entrenched at, at his given program, but still financially very much so. And his team performed so badly on Saturday that he ended up getting the ax and, and that's Will Muschamp. Don't expect an in-season firing for Harbaugh, but I think uh, I forget if, if they play w- with the last um, regular season game of the season or not still. But um, when Michigan gets officially destroyed by Ohio State, I think that's it. For, for Harbaugh I think it's over after this year yeah I, I think especially if it's like 68 to 14 which seems like a distinct possibility at mm-hmm. this point I, I think that would be the thing that really tips the scales um and, and at the same time I don't I don't know if if Ohio State hangs on and squeaks out a 31-28 victory I don't know if that really changes things either but it, at this point it's it's really hard to imagine Michigan putting out any kind of spirited performance in a game like that no, they're, they're completely overmatched uh, mm-hmm. at, at this point. And, and I, I was talking to uh, somebody on the on the radio earlier this week who, who mentioned like the the recruiting disparity between Michigan and Wisconsin and, and noting that there were like 40 uh, four or five star players on Michigan compared to like 15 or something for, for Wisconsin that and Wisconsin obviously was able to make up that difference. And then some like for for looking at the the star ratings for Ohio State versus Michigan like it's almost similar the the talent disparity like Ohio State will will have like infinitely more five stars than Michigan has that that sort of thing uh so that they're going to just be overmatching Michigan and then I just don't think that Michigan is playing a cohesive brand of football and they they're just kind of playing out the string that this year I think they've probably tuned out Harbaugh at this stage so it's going to be ugly the rest of the way for the Wolverines yeah, that's always the biggest what if for Wisconsin fans is I, I've said this on this podcast before. I think Wisconsin develops talent relative to its recruiting rankings better than any team in the country. And it's just like, well, what if we were getting four and five stars? Like, would, would that development still be happening? And all of a sudden you'd have this this complete wagon of a team. But um, yeah, I mean, it's there's not a lot to get excited about when it comes to Wisconsin recruiting. But it's nice to know that even if you're bringing in a two or a three star, like within two or three years, those guys typically start playing like you know, a four star or maybe even a low five star in some cases. Um, we, we should probably talk about uh, the Lane Kiffin incident, the toss. <laughs> I think there were multiple, actually. I mean, there there is um, I think the first one w- was like on like a very, very long touchdown pass for, from Matt Corral, where yeah. um, it, it was the classic Lane Kiffin. The ball hadn't even been caught yet. It was still in the air and he had already like let go of that it. clipboard. So he knew it right away. That that was that that was going. I think he had another clipboard throwing incident. So I mean, it was it was awesome. I mean, it was it was Lane Kiffin just having fun. And I, I think Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin is just such a beautiful marriage. And then you also get like the powder blue uniforms that they were rocking love, on Saturday. Love those. When when Ole Miss is going well, it's just a fun program to 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 root for. I mean, they're, they're just crazy. Uh, the offense is, is a lot of fun. I mean, we, we've had a pretty long run now here of, you know, relevant Ole Miss teams dating back to like 2014 or, or so, you know, like the Bo Wallace beating Alabama. Um, you know, we, we've had DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and all these great players come through Ole Miss. So they're, they're a fun program. And I think that, that Lane Kiffin is like tapping back into, you know, some of like the peak, Hugh Freeze times here and it, it makes they don't have much of a defense and that I don't see that changing anytime soon but if nothing else Ole Miss is fun to watch every single week and you really can't say that about a lot of SEC teams mm-hmm. right now that's where you want to be you want to be in the peak freeze zone 
in the mm-hmm. SEC. Uh, mm-hmm. And on the other side of this, Will Muschamp out mm-hmm. at South Carolina. Um, how surprised are you? Not not about this firing specifically, but just about how this entire thing has gone for Muschamp. I thought it was a terrible idea from the start. I mean, it. You know, some some guys you can tell that like that they were a little bit overmatched at their first job, and, and you figure like, okay, they can they can drop it down in another level or tier of program, and, and you know, start to see the the thesis as to why that this guy was like a hot coaching name at one point or another. But I mean, Muschamp, like you know, his his bread and butter is so old at this point. I mean, we're we're talking about you know next big thing at texas like 10 years ago or something he he was mac brown's defensive coordinator and you know he's this you know big deal and and, you know when florida hired him that's going to be a home run it obviously was quite the opposite of that and i don't really know what really carolina in to think that anything was going to go differently this time around i mean the defense was terrible this year once again and like that's supposed to be must champs calling card so uh, i guess i'm surprised that the defense was, was as bad as it ended up being um and now like all of these uh starting defensive players for south carolina have opted out the rest of the season jc horn mm-hmm. and, and a couple other guys so i i'm surprised in that in that extent like how bad it went but i never thought that must champ was going to be the the guy that brought uh south carolina back to competing for sec east uh, titles. I thought that was a, a botched hire to begin with. Now we, now you know, we saw Liberty kind of getting the sense that, oh yeah, the, I mean those SEC programs are going to come knocking. Let's go ahead and extend freeze. So I mean, it, it's going to be like a very tough move financially for South Carolina if they want to poach freeze. That's going to be really, really right. tough. So I think they start to look at um, Coastal Carolina's head coach or uh, Billy Napier um, at Louisiana. Those are, those are the two kind of guys that, that are drawing the most, um, you know, buzz as message board buzz, as it were, um, as far as this new South Carolina job opening goes. Uh, honestly, that's the only buzz I, I care about at this point. I don't know what other kind of buzz is there. <laughs> Hell if I know. All right, let's look at week 12. Uh, where do you want to start here? Like I said, some some interesting ranked versus ranked matchups, some non-traditional ones, if you will. Yeah, so, I mean, well, it ranked versus ranked, I guess we could start back up with the Badgers going. I mean, we have two games in the Big Ten that kind of set up as the conference semifinals, right? Because we yeah. have Wisconsin versus Northwestern. We And on the other side, we have a top 10 matchup between Ohio State and Indiana. I mean, this is just absolutely bonkers what a season but yeah either way we get we get two games that will the result the winner of each of those games will be in the official driver's seat to get to the big 10 championship and you know so when you have northwestern playing as well as they are and it's been tough sledding for wisconsin down in evanston in recent years like this is going to be a very tightly contested game uh, Wisconsin seven and a half point favorites it looks like and I, I think that 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 line seems about right I think Ohio State will probably be able to I think I think Indiana hasn't really beaten anybody I, I'm sorry to say it but it, it just turns out like what you know what is their best win at the end of the day is it mm-hmm. a, a winless Penn State is that their best win at the at this stage so I'd, I think it is yeah honestly so to it, as good of a story as Indiana has been I think it's going to come back to earth a, a fair yeah. bit this week against Ohio State. So I'm, I'm not looking for that game to be quite as, as interesting, but I am thinking that this Wisconsin-Northwestern game is, is going to be a, a rowdy one in that afternoon window. Northwestern is always the team, regardless of how good they are, regardless of how good Wisconsin is, that the Badgers have had the most trouble with 
you know, other than Ohio State, you know, team, as far as like team that they shouldn't struggle with to the degree that they do. Um, I don't know if it's the long grass in Evanston. That's where this one's taking place. Um, but it, it's always been a trap game in a lot of ways for Wisconsin. And uh, I don't think that changes this time around. Um, you know, I, I will say I, I was pretty encouraged by last week. It was hard not to be. Sure. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to you're going to be going up against inferior athletes. You know, you were just talking about Michigan's recruiting. Uh, Northwestern is is obviously well below that, but you know Northwestern is a lot like Wisconsin. You know, recruit and develop, so well coached. Um, you know, have had a, a tenured coach in place. You have a, an established program identity, um, and I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, Wisconsin's kind of the the little brother to Ohio State, and and you know Northwestern's kind of that one rung below a team like Wisconsin. That's that's always kind of trying to scratch and claw to get to that next level. So, you know, it's it's really hard to be confident. Against Northwestern, I can I can tell you none of my Badger friend fan friends are super thrilled about this game, um, but at the same time I was I was really glad to see the running game get going against Michigan and it's tough to measure yourself against that defense but the running game got almost nothing against Illinois no big plays uh, that returned you know the, the the return of the jet sweep raid uh, was huge last week <laughs> against Michigan Danny Davis running wild uh, the Badgers racked up I mean almost 400 yards rushing against uh, against Michigan almost outrushed Michigan by 300 yards in that game so I think if you get maybe a little bit better game from Grand Mertz that we had last week maybe you expect a, a little bit worse rushing game and kind of meet in the middle uh, I, I feel okay about this one I mean Wisconsin seven and a half on the road I think to me that feels about right um, you know we're, we're still dealing with kind of a small sample for Wisconsin but but again it's hard not to be impressed with with what we've seen through two games yeah, it, it it absolutely is. I think that's the best way to put it. Wisconsin is, has won two games in very convincing fashion in two very different ways. So that right. having that variability and, and adaptability to to win in any given circumstance is so huge um, in today's college football landscape. So being able to to show up to a rock fight like this one is going to be on on Saturday. I would be a little bit more concerned if Wisconsin's run game didn't get into gear against Michigan. But now that we think that that is going to be, you know, an asset, something that for this run run game to hang its hat on, then I think that's a, that adds another, uh, you know, layer for for Wisconsin. And you know, I think it's also important to note, you know, you mentioned how much Wisconsin put up on Michigan on the ground. They were doing so with a very limited backfield in terms of personnel. I mean, uh, Groshek, I believe what was ruled out for this game, Isaac Garendo, uh, was also out. So you had, you know, he had to go to, uh, Jalen Berger a little bit more and in the man himself, Mason Stocky, not Stocky. necessarily a bad thing. Look, no. I, I, you know, there, there's not exactly a, uh, a superstar on this roster, but if it is somebody, I think it's Berger. I, th- I think so. I think it, you know, he, he's going to start to prove that here, uh, so maybe as soon as Saturday, but, um, yeah, Bottom line, really like Wisconsin, uh, the way that they're playing right now, the way they're built. This will be a very tough test, though, Saturday in Evanston. I guess some other games or some other interesting scheduling quirks. This isn't a ranked-on-ranked game, but it is going to be the CBS afternoon game, San Diego State versus Nevada. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, yeah. I'm I'm dead serious, they, man. They, like, is there another Masters this weekend? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's just a, a litany of uh, postponed games across the country. It's it hasn't really hit the SEC country too hard, but Ole Miss A and M has been postponed. So I, I guess that we uh, we we get treated to the San Diego State Nevada game. Uh, I will say 
before you turn off your television sets once that game comes on, Romeo Dubes of Nevada, 31 catches for 645 and eight touchdowns through four games. That's worth paying attention to. Those are, those are Nick Whale and NCAA football 06 numbers. Yeah, man. So he he's crushing. Uh, Greg Bell has like, yeah, eight and four games, which is nuts. Greg Bell on the other side, San Diego State, he's running extremely well. He's kind of like the latest San Diego State running back that happens to be really good. So um, that that will well, be something. They, to... haven't all been, they haven't all been that good. <laughs> don't, don't even bring up the man who shall remain nameless. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave that be then. I was I put my pinky or tested it out. Put uh, you know, put the toe in the water there. And uh, yeah, I, I sense the temperature. I got, I got you, bud. Um, what else do we got? We got Bedlam, which is has like the least amount of buzz to it that yeah, we've it's seen like in recent kind of years. Bedlam, I guess like technically it is Bedlam. It doesn't really feel like the definition of the word Bedlam. No, no. I mean, like OK State has kind of gotten by on defense this year, so it, it's it's a weird weird game as far as that's concerned. Uh, Oklahoma not really. You know, they're, they're kind of out of the national t- title conversation completely already. So that that's tough. It's it's not as good of a matchup as maybe we would have hoped coming into the season. Um, some other games that I think are, are pretty interesting, though. I mean, you, you got Coastal versus App State. That should be the, the Saturday if you're going to get a little bit weird with your Saturday afternoon um, slate decision, CBS. Like, I would have loved to see App State Coastal. I mean, Coastal is number 15 in the country. App State is kind of like the, the daddy of of the Sun Belt and has been in recent years. So I would have loved to see that, but uh, either way, I'll be paying attention to that one. That's on ESPN too. So looking forward to that. Um, Cincinnati versus central Florida. I think this is the biggest final hurdle for Cincinnati. You know, we continue to hear the buzz about them being a playoff dark horse. Uh, they continue to dominate teams and central Florida hasn't had a good season by its standards, but I still think Central Florida is really dangerous, though. So it, it'll be a great meeting of great offense versus great defense when it comes to uh, when Central Florida has the ball against Cincinnati. I think that the key will be, you know, who wins that matchup and then how much can Central Florida bow up and slow down Cincinnati? Because if it gets into a situation where uh, Cincinnati is scoring every single drive, that that adds so much pressure on Central Florida to keep up against what is probably the best mm-hmm. defense in the group of five. All right, let's look at a few more of these games uh, through a DFS lens as we start to look at some of the values and some of the teams to target in Week 12. We have two majorly lopsided matchups for two of the best offenses in the country, one of which gets Trevor Lawrence back. Clemson is at Florida State. They are 35.5-point favorites at Florida State. Again, 35.5 points if you're wondering how Florida State season is going. Uh, And then Florida, 31.5 at Vanderbilt. Uh, where I believe Jerry Stackhouse is still the head basketball coach. Um, so yeah. that's something to keep. That's something to keep in mind. Um, you still have that these, weird court. Uh, they do. Yeah, where it has like 15 foot or like boundaries on either side, and mm-hmm. like the crowd is like in a pit. <laughs> so it's always been the weirdest thing. I, yeah, I've never. I, I really that. don't understand that. Um, so which which of these games? I mean, is there one? Is there any chance that either of these are remotely competitive? I think I know the answer to that. And two, uh, which, which of the two is a little more appealing to you if you're talking DFS? So, yes, uh, neither of these games are going to be competitive. But I think there is an interesting storyline to, to keep in keep in mind uh, when when targeting both either Florida or Clemson. Man, I think that Clemson ha- and Trevor Lawrence specifically has a little bit of like Heisman makeup catch up to do. And like what better way than, you know, first game back against Florida State? 
playing all four quarters. We always wonder what it looks like if, if Trevor Lawrence is going, you know, full ham for 60 minutes. I think it, we could get a glimpse of it Saturday, and it is the ugliest possible outcome if you're a Florida State fan. And I, I think for DFS purposes, rolling with Lawrence is a great idea. And I think we also, you know, speaking of Heisman, when it comes to Trask, some people kind of because, you know, he had the captive audience, neither Mac Jones nor Trevor Lawrence were in action last week. But with the way that Trask was playing last weekend, he has very, very solidified, very much solidified himself to where, like, I imagine he'll at least be a Heisman finalist now. Yeah, it's hard to see him not be. So he's crushing it. And he he gets a game at Vanderbilt. Uh, no Kyle Pitts, unfortunately. We'll get to that in a, in a little bit. But either way, this is another set up for Trask to to like kind of pad his stats and bolster um, his case for, for the Heisman. So th- those are two games to keep an eye for. We got Bama back on the slate. They're going up against a scrappy Kentucky team. But at the same time, I don't love this setup for, for Kentucky. I don't think they're going to be able to, to have much resistance. Ohio State, of course, that, that side is very interesting going up against Indiana. Um, the Cincinnati Central Florida game, it should be competitive throughout. Like I'm Like I was mentioning earlier, I think it should be tough back uh you know there's only a six point favorite for cincinnati so that this is implied to be very competitive in the over under uh checking in at 63 so both those teams should be putting up four plus touchdowns in this one um and we get a little bit of that sunbelt uh flavor in this game be, or in this slate because we do get app state versus coastal and the, the big story there um, keeping an eye on the status of, of App State quarterback Zach Thomas. He got knocked out of last week's game, had to go to the hospital for, for precautionary measures. Should be fine. Like, yeah, has movement in all ex- extremities, extremities. But, you know, coming coming back out and playing a week after getting hit like that, I'm not sure if that happens. So if he ends up being out, then that's going to be a tough one for for my App State Mountaineers. But I mean, it's it's hard not to root for the for the Chanticleers either. The ranked Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Yeah, they are ranked AF right now. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned that the Heisman race, Kyle Trask plus two fifty right now. Trevor Lawrence is plus two hundred. Justin Fields is plus two fifty. Mac Jones is three to one. Those guys are are on a tier of their own. Uh, and then you get a drop off down to Zach Wilson at twenty five to one. Ian Book at fifty. Uh, then, you know, a handful of long shots. But yeah, I mean, I would say as of right now, we're, we're looking at Lawrence Fields, Trask Jones as virtual locks to to be at the ceremony if, if there is such a thing this year. Right. Exa- exactly. So, um, yeah, imagine it, if it's four, then it, it's clearly going to be those four. Um, and I, I think that it's right right now where it's Lawrence still kind of leading the, the field ever so slightly. And then uh, Trask and Fields right right there with them with with plenty of of road ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Uh interested to see fields because he you know he'll have the the smallest resume of all these guys he has a max of of seven games at this point because because the the game against maryland where he you know probably would have padded up his stats pretty nicely um that that got you know thrown out the window last weekend so he really needs to get some style points and i think Mm -hmm. that that's another thing that's going to help his case for for dfs this week and he's actually just 9k um, some of these other quarterbacks, Trask and Lawrence, 97 and 94, respectively, Desmond Ritter, 92, Hennon Hooker, 9K, so, or uh, 91. So all those guys uh, checking in with higher salaries than Fields, that feels like a mistake. And it feels like something where I'm going to have more more Fields exposure than probably anyone else, even though he has a tougher matchup than uh, Trask or Lawrence. 
All right. So which of those guys are you leaning, you know, from a DFS perspective? Uh, and I also see, you know, DJ Ungalalele is, you know, still right up there in terms of price at 7,800 for a backup quarterback, which says a lot about this matchup. Um, you have Trask at the top. You have Trevor Lawrence. You save a little money with Justin Fields. He's at 9,000 compared to 97 and 94 for those guys. Um, but you also have Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati. You have Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech. A lot of the usual names up there. And then, of course, Mac Jones at 85. Right. So um, I think that this is a week where you need at least one uh, of these elite quarterbacks. Uh, I wouldn't say that this is a week where uh, you, you get one of these guys and then you go with, with a different position in your super flex. I think this is a two QB type of slate where you where you will want to use a quarterback in your super flex spot. Um, so that makes the salary playing around with the salary a little bit tougher and it makes finding that value at quarterback, um, all the more important because you're not just like setting it and forgetting it with, with, you know, one of the absolute best quarterbacks, you need to find a, a pairing that, that makes sense for you. So I love, you know, going Trask, Lawrence or, or Fields. Those are the guys I will have the most of in my lineups. And I do like Mac Jones a fair bit as well at 85, but if you need to get a little bit further down the board to, to make a lineup that you like, I think Luke McCaffrey, assuming he gets another start for Nebraska, he's going up against Illinois. He's at home. That feels like a good matchup for, to me. I, I think he's athletic enough. I think he's decent enough as a passer to make that work. So keep an eye on him. Um, I think Felipe Franks is also kind of interesting. I mean, LSU's I can't believe I'm saying this, but like LSU's defense is one to target. I mean, they they statistically are the worst pass defense on this slate. They're like uh, opposing quarterbacks are allowing or are getting 10 yards per attempt and 335 passing yards per game against LSU this year. And Illinois far, far behind, but still the the second worst pass defense. So that that's kind of where I draw into the the Franks and McCaffrey appeal among those cheaper quarterbacks that that i think profile is pretty nice uh super flex options and then grayson mccall might be the 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 wild card of this slate extremely productive quarterback over at coastal carolina just really has that offense clicking on all cylinders will they be able to keep it up against app state i'm not quite as sure i think that's going to be a little bit more of a slugfest so i don't know how much mccall i'm going to end up with but that's my read as far as the quarterbacks go all right looking at running backs Brees hall uh, the usual name atop the list after a week off uh, in week 11, at least 130 yards in six of seven games this year, uh, almost a lock to to get you multiple touchdowns any week at a receiving touchdown uh, in the Cyclones last game against Baylor. Uh, any sense in paying up for Hall this week? And, and if not, where else are you looking? This is this is where it starts to get tough because the. DraftKings has done an amazing job and it makes it makes everything very difficult, however, um, of kind of basically eliminating the middle tier of running backs. And it, they, you know, you got to pay 7K plus for your RB1. And, you know, in a lot of cases this week, north of 8K, uh, Brees Hall, almost a fifth of your salary cap that you're working with. So as much as I like the matchup and as much as I love the player, I think it's going to be kind of hard to make a lineup that you love with Brees Hall, unless you can really find the, those value guys in K-State decent enough against the run to where like I'll probably just not have a ton of Brees Hall this week. It's just a the problem with, with the salary. So 
if you want to go Buku expensive, Najee Harris, I, I guess, makes some sense going up against Kentucky. I do like Jamar Jefferson. So these Pac-12 teams, much smaller sample than everyone else on the board. But Jefferson, kind of the engine of that Oregon State offense at, in general, got s- slowed down last week against Washington. That that was just kind of a, a tough spot, but still uh, managed to go for 130 yards. So I do like Jefferson a fair bit. Plus, he's going up against Cal, which has like the, one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, run defenses on the board. So if I'm going expensive at running back, I'm going Jefferson. What if you're going cheap? You, you don't want to go Buku expensive. You want to go Buku cheap. Buku cheap. Okay. I mean, th- this is, again, a situation where a lot of the run defenses on the slate are going up against rushing offenses that don't really um, have have like the juice to really make them pay for it. I mean, uh, you know, we have a situation like Vanderbilt. You know, you're not really going to go heavy at any of those Florida running backs. Um, you, you look at um, Florida State. Like it, how much Travis Etienne do you think is really going to going to get run um, Pittsburgh? They have a soft matchup on the ground going up against Virginia Tech. But um, Pittsburgh has had a really hard time finding a, a consistent answer in the backfield. So um, looking elsewhere, I do like Jalen Berger a little bit where he's at. Um, he's just at forty one hundred. So that's a nice little uh, bit of savings. I'm a little bit interested um, in, in Cameron Peoples of App State, he's 5,300. Um, it looks like uh, Dietrich Harrington for for the Mountaineers is going to be out for an extended period. So I think considering him uh, is important because he should be getting the bulk of the backfield work for App State. And App State always has that explosive run game. So he's the next guy up, it's, it feels like. And I think that he can take advantage um, there look at the Arkansas backfield a little bit against LSU as well. So, I mean, there, there's some ways to go about this and, uh, Deuce Vaughn against Iowa state is also interesting. He's coming off some terrible games. I think that that's going to be one of the more forgotten games of this entire slate that because <laughs> the big 12 doesn't really have any novelty to it at, at this stage of the year. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you know, uh, we, we do get that a little bit more from like the big 10 games in this one or, or some of these bigger named, uh, sec program so that that game kind of is is like the the black sheep of this slate and i think it's not going to get a ton of dfs attention i think that that is going to drive down the roster percentage for deuce vaughn if he can get back involved in the passing game like he was earlier this year he should smash the value at, at 54 all right looking at receiver you got Devonte smith atop the price list this week he's at 88 going up against kentucky marlon williams at ucf the only other player north of 8,000. Uh, I, I know you're you're looking a little bit further down the board though for your better values. Yes, so receiver is where you can really find some you know some nice plays this week, and I think that 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 can kind of embolden you to go a little bit more expensive at, at running back and not really try to try to like guess right as far as the running backs go because I think that there's a little more value with these pass catchers. Terrace Marshall, just an absolute beast at 7K. Um, you know he's going up against Arkansas. Arkansas. Good defense normally. I think it was one of the best in the SEC going into last week, but we saw what happened to them against Florida. I don't know if LSU does it the same to the same degree, but uh, I think that Marshall certainly can crush at, at 7K. I mean, he's just such like a high-profile, uh, high-talent player, and you know he has a 23% uh, target share of that LSU offense. So I like him a fair bit. 
Looking elsewhere on the other side of that game, Traylon Burks at 6,100. He's he had a big game against Florida. I expect him to continue to to go well. So if you if you have Franks in your lineup, Burks would be the guy to pair with him. Uh, if you want to get a little mini Arkansas stack, John Mechie, 5,900. Obviously, no Jalen Waddle anymore in this Alabama offense. So maybe they gear things more towards as just like a Devonte Smith, Najee Harris game. That's totally possible. But 5,900, it won't kill you if Mechie just gives you like 15 points, which I imagine he will. He's good for at least one big play a game. Um, Pitt can get beaten through the air pretty badly. So Trey Turner uh, definitely has my attention for Virginia Tech. Uh, 21% target share, high yards per target numbers. He's always been a very talented but underrated guy, in my opinion. So I like his chances of, of getting things done against Pitt as long as uh, Hendon Hooker isn't intentionally throwing interceptions like it almost looked like last week against Miami. He looked awful throwing the ball last week against Miami and so many near uh, turnovers for him. So hopefully that gets back in gear a little bit Um, with Kyle Pitts being out for Florida. Keon Zipperer, two touchdowns last week. Looks like totally looks the part, looks really good. And he's, he's under 5k. So I look for him to, to be someone who's going to be a staple of my lineups. Trevon Grimes, only 5,100 for Florida. So those are my two favorite Florida options. They do of course, love to spread the ball around um, a fair bit, but still uh, something to consider with those two guys. I think those are the two kind of like mainstays, although a little bit interested in like a Justin shorter to the former five-star um, at, at um, Penn State, who's now now at Florida and starting to to really uh, fit in to this offense. I love Parker Washington at Penn State um, go, going up. I think that he has a chance. I mean, he he continues to be involved basically no matter what, even even if they're struggling. So going up against Iowa, they are at home. He's only 4,800. Makes some sense. And, and then Malik Williams of uh, App State. I think that he is one of the more um, reliable pass catching options in that App State offense. So, again, you'll want to make sure that Zach Thomas is playing before you use any of these App State receivers. But if he is, then you can feel comfortable using Malik Williams. All right, let's take a look at the betting market. This weekend, John, um, I, I believe we we both hit Wisconsin last week. Uh, yes. So we can pat ourselves on the back for that. I, I will say I don't remember off the top of your head what your other bets were. So if you want to gloat about any of those that you know are correct, I will concede the floor to you now. We, OK, we had it. We had a great bad beat. Um, so UNC was getting throttled, but like they were down, I think, 21 to to Wake Forest and they were 13 and a half point favorites mm-hmm. at one point late in the fourth quarter. And North Carolina was covering once again. It was it was a beautiful but fleeting moment. I'm trying not to use the word fleet. That that's that's been all over Twitter this week. We, that's a totally different podcast for us. I think that we could we could unpack. I don't the know. Fleets. We'll, we'll, we'll give we'll give it a couple minutes at the end. I, I have some thoughts too. Okay, excellent. But um, anyway, I I said to back North Carolina. It, I was almost right in the most wrong way, but then ultimately I was wrong, like I deserve to be. Um, but Cincinnati. Um, took care of business very, very well against East Carolina. And I, I think I had another, I think I, I liked app state as well and they didn't cover, but uh, I will not take the L on that one because Zach oh. Thomas got hurt. So yeah, uh, don't, you, don't do you it. can't make me, can't make me. I'm not going to do it. All right. Well, where are we looking this week? I like the over in this app state coastal game. I think that both these offenses are high powered. Again, you'll, you'll want to make sure that Thomas is in, but I think that we're going to see both of these teams moving the ball on one another. I mean, Coastal has so many interesting pieces. Uh, 
Javon Hale. I, I, I hope I'm not like butchering his name too hard, but he's a really interesting player for Coastal. Gets gets so much work in that passing game. Uh, we talked about McCall already. Uh, CJ Marable is, is a really, really fun running back for Coastal as well. So I'm just really juiced about this game. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored, certainly more than, than the 48. The 48 feels a little bit low to me. Um, not quite as, enough respect for the for the offenses. So I, I like that. Penn State, I'm I'm like curious, and because they're plus two and a half against Iowa, it, you know you can you can just kind of like knock some sense to me here, and I, I'd be open to it. But I can't I can't let go of Penn State being like a talented team, even though they they're playing like just absolutely terrible football right now. Right. Am, I, am I crazy for like continuing to go to the well here? Well, this line is a little confusing. I feel like you're being baited. It's not your fault. They're baiting you with this, right? Thank you. I'm being gaslit. I, I mean, yeah, you are. You're being once again gaslit by a winless Penn State team. I mean, Iowa, Iowa's two and two. Let's not pretend like they're a great team either. But, you know, those two losses are by a combined five points, one of which to a top 20 team, uh, and the other to a, a reasonably decent Purdue team, at least more respectable than, than the bottom feeders in the Big Ten. They blew out Minnesota. They blew out Michigan State. Both of those teams aren't, aren't great, but, you know, it, it's kind of a you know, a survival mode for the middle and lower parts of the Big Ten where these teams just kind of take turns, beat each other up. One looks terrible one week, looks competent the next, then back to looking terrible. Um, I mean, I, I would not bet Penn State here. I, I think eventually they're going to get a win. Like, they're not going to go defeated, right? Right, I, I hope. I don't think so. Um, but I don't think it comes here. I don't I don't think it does. I mean, we, you know, we, we kind of let Penn State off the hook a little bit last week, you know, with this just being a loss season. You know, a, a superior opponent to, to many of the teams that they've lost to already is coming into town this weekend. Uh, I, I don't think it happens. OK, I mean, that, that definitely is fair. That, that definitely tracks. I, I needed someone to, to talk some sense into me yeah. there. So much appreciated. Um, looking elsewhere on the board, I do like Oklahoma State to, to cover uh, seven points against Oklahoma. Um, I think that their defense is legit enough and they they have everybody back on offense so I do like Oklahoma State's chances of covering this one. I think it, they should make it a little bit closer to like a field goal type of game. I, I give OK State a, a legitimate chance to win this one. And then I like Liberty. Liberty going for the hat trick of going 3-0 and against ACC programs this year. All that's standing in their way is NC State. I don't think NC State's very good. I, I know they just pounded Florida State, but that says absolutely nothing in my opinion liberty is legit and it's not just like that they're beating who's in front of them like that they have a legitimate you know former power five quarterback and malik willis calling the shots for them um former auburn quarterback malik willis uh, at the helm so i mean he's really cooking with gas you got the hugh freeze offense clicking uh he's not even co uh coaching from a hospital bed anymore or a forklift or anything like that he's on the sidelines getting it done I like Liberty plus three and a half. I, I would almost I'll say this. Sprinkle a little bit on that Liberty money line. Mm. Just a little bit. Just I, enough. Not a lot of people have said that sentence in their lifetime. I'm glad. Like I'm glad I, words. I don't know did. if that exact sentence has ever been said. <laughs> Sprinkle a little on that Liberty money line, baby. I'm like feeling liber it. that Liberty football money line. That's right. <laughs> it's. What are, we, what are we even doing right now? This feels like a, an alternative universe. I will say, uh, you know, going back to Coastal Carolina, 
stone cold lock that if I was in seventh grade, like that's a team I would be obsessed with. Right. Oh. Like, Oh like, yeah. This would be awesome colors. Great story. Um, you know, they weird mascot. Everybody up. Yeah. Right. What it's, is it's a like, clear? Yeah. It's like, well, like in eighth grade, I, I bought a Wichita state hat and was like wearing it around and like thought I was really cool. Cause like everybody was like, what, what is that W is that for our town was Wrightstown. Like, uh, no guys, it's for Wichita state, obviously. Duh. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I know for a fact I would have been all over this, this coastal team. Yeah, man, they're so fun. I mean, they're, they're crushing it. They're, um, they got the weird colors. They got the weird mascot. Like it, it's got, it's got all the elements really. So, I mean, yeah, extremely likable Cinderella team, a a welcome site, uh, this year for sure. So I'm going to go Ohio state. I think they cover 20 and a half. I think that's a little bit of a conservative line. I think Ohio state is the worst possible opponent for Indiana. I think Indiana has enough confidence that they, they could hold their own against a team like Wisconsin. I, I think Ohio State, we've talked about this before. Like, you know, they, they every couple of years they'll have like that random game where they'll just get like pummeled by Iowa. Mm. But they're in games like this, you know, where it looks like maybe a trap game, I feel like they always come through. Yeah. Um, they seem to be on a mission this year. I, I think that one, you know, is, is a stark wake up call uh, for Indiana, like we were saying before. I, Clemson, that one's tough. You know, this, this one, it feels almost a little obvious. I would love to side with you and say that Trevor Lawrence plays four quarters. And this is like that Georgia tech game that they bring up every now and then, where it was like 279 to zero in like <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Against uh, um, like Columbus college or, or something. I forget, I forget yeah, the exact like name of that school. school. I refused, I refused to like refer to that happening of any, as if that means anything for Georgia tech football, but right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have a betting angle on this one. I'm, I'm also not seeing a line, uh, which is partially why, but has there ever been a more random midseason matchup than North Alabama at BYU? Ooh, yeah. I mean, BYU is just like they'll take anyone that's like willing to willing to play and right. and you know like willing to get their boys smashed for for three and a half hours. So I mean, uh, kudos to North Alabama for for you know offering themselves as tribute because BYU is just <laughs> they're gonna have some fun. They'll be chilling. I'm taking USC minus three on the road at Utah as well. Uh, and they, they probably cover that with like a hail Mary touchdown on the last play. Yeah. USC is like, they're maddening. Like they, they almost lost to Arizona last week. Yeah. Like they did not play well again against Kevin Sullins. Yes. Arizona does. They stink. Like my, I got some family ties to the university of Arizona. I, I, I root for the, for the wildcats a little bit, but my goodness, they are not a good football program and, and they still almost beat USC this weekend. So I hope you're right because you, if USC plays its best game, that they, they would cover this, but yeah. it's hard to have faith that they will. I wish I could say I had family ties to a cool school like Arizona. Like I have, I have immediate family ties to Fox Valley Technical College and the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, those are legit too, man. I mean, pro- academically, probably very similar. Oh man, I do have a cousin who you you might know went to uh, what is it? Some some school in Georgia? I don't know what what are like what are the schools in Georgia? Private schools? Uh, Mercer. Mm-hmm. No, it's Emory? It sounds, I think it was Emory. Yeah. Okay. Emory's a good. Emory's a, a very good, good school in in, okay. in Atlanta. It sounded cool. Yeah, it sounded prestigious. Um, didn't sound like it was a similar experience to Wisconsin. Um, but we'll we'll leave it at that. All <laughs> right. Let's let's talk about fleets real quick. Okay. What is going on? Not only with Twitter, but all of a sudden Instagram has replaced the like notification button is now a shopping bag, and like everything is like an it's like an integrated it's like Mercari or Poshmark slash Instagram. So that's one issue. And then like two days later, Twitter basically has decided like we will, you know, if, if Instagram's going to change, we will, we will put this on our shoulders and we will become Instagram. 
it's like well the thing about instagram stories for me is that the people that i follow on instagram are like actual friends of mine for the most part right like my twi- the people i follow on twitter like i need to follow them for for information purposes or or one one thing or the other so i'm not interested in like how their days are going like i'm interested in, in how my friends days are going or, or whatever so like uh, i'll look at instagram stories i'll post my own instagram stories that kind of thing but twitter's not no there are no friends on twitter like it's just <laughs> i'm i'm there to absorb information and maybe maybe mm-hmm. get some stupid tweets off that's about it so i'm i'm definitely not interested in seeing how re- you know, beat reporter at, at Kansas State X is how his barbecue plate looks today. Like that, that's not right. what I'm I'm there on Twitter for. And I, the fleets just feels like a a very incongruous idea of you know when you apply it to Twitter. It's great on Instagram. It, it you know the originator Snapchat like love that, but it never felt right on Facebook. That oh, felt God. like just a, a gratuitous addition. <laughs> and I mean, Twitter just like adopted it and just yeah. like. It, nobody likes it. I don't. I don't. I just don't understand it. Did you see that tweet that was going around where someone photoshopped uh, a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet and made it look yeah. like there were now Excel stories? That <laughs> that is brilliant. Now, see, that was I would, good. I would, I, would, I would happily post an Excel story. Um, I don't. Know, I see. I think that the issue is if you look at the people who are posting these fleets, it's, you know, it's not your friends. You know, it's not you and I. It's like people with forty thousand followers who don't have that many followers on Instagram, and it's like, hey, I'm not. I'm not getting a lot of likes on my Instagram photos. I'll just post them on here because I have more followers on here and I'll get more engagement. So I don't know. It's it's a, nobody was asking for this. I understand it from like a business perspective. You know, like like you know, we we can't sit here and call the kettle black because Rotowire posted a fleet today, the the at Rotowire account, um, and it's not a bad way to, you know, you're going to click on them. Like I've I'm holding my phone in my hand right now, and I, partially it's because we're talking about it, but I'm scrolling through these fleets because they're at the top of the screen because they have that light blue ring around them that just somehow like entrances you into tapping it. Yeah. Like how do, um, how do I make this go away? Right. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's the same thing with Instagram. Like I, you know, there are probably, I don't know, 30 total people on Instagram who like, if they post a story, it's like, Oh, I, I'm interested in checking this out. Yeah. 95% of the time, the, the little swirly circles at the top of the screen are not those people, but you don't want to have, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm not somebody who likes to have outstanding notifications. I don't have 30,000 unread emails like i gotta get rid of these and that, i feel like that's what that's what twitter's banking on yeah so that's it i i think that this w- you know a lot of the times we what we'll do is we'll complain about an update on, on a social media platform and then we forget about it this doesn't i seem don't like think twi- i don't think twitter's getting off the hook for this one i think people are gonna remember this being like memorably bad stuff for, from twitter like memorably like uh yeah you can make fun of it yeah well what's, what's interesting is a lot of the people because it was universally you know, panned when it, when everybody updated this week and it was like, what is this? I'm never going to use Twitter, Instagram now. Those same people are now the ones using it. So like, I don't know. I mean, it, it's like at, at some point it becomes like a, you know, keeping up with the Joneses thing where it's like, well, if, if all these other major accounts are using it, I, I guess we have to, too. You know, I, I think it becomes a follow the leader thing because, you know, you don't want to be left behind. Uh, that That's an unfortunate truth, but, but a truth nonetheless.